is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 502, recorded Thursday, October the 15th, 2020. Welcome, everyone, to the show, including you, Jason. How are you doing this week? Ah, I'm doing okay. I'm uh, I'm on vacation this week. Oh, well, you must be doing all right then on vacation. Yeah, not too bad. I'm fucking exhausted. <laughs> this is the hardest vacation <laughs> I've ever been on. Been a lot of organizing, been a lot of cleaning, been a lot of uh, doing stuff around the basement. We're primarily focused on the basement. I mean, and there's don't you spend most of your time in the basement anyways? I do, and that's why I'm doing this, because uh, it's been neglected for far too long, ah. and there's a lot to do. New freezer... Uh, moving stuff around, taking out garbage, you know, you buy, you buy stuff and then you have boxes. And I'm one of those people that likes to, likes to think, you know what? I probably need that box. So I save it. So I got a room full of boxes. And after a while I've decided, you know what? I don't move around that much anymore. I don't need those boxes. So going through and separating all the garbage from the cardboard so that you don't, so they can be properly be recycled. Well, good, good. I mean, you're cleaning out your box room. That's good. Oh, yeah. Amongst many, many, many other organizational things. But uh, yes, I'm exhausted. Good vacation, though. I'm happy to not be working. I guess it's nice to have some time off no matter what. Yeah, that's good to hear. Well, my week has been fun. Uh, I alluded to it last time we podcasted, but I hurt my shoulder about a week and a half ago and my ribs when I fell down uh, somewhere I shouldn't have fallen down. Right. And so I have a tear in my supraspinatus muscle. I think that's how you say it in my shoulder. That's and a made up muscle. That's what everybody says when I tell them. <laughs> you made that up. <laughs> but it, it means I can't raise my arm up and I'm having physio on it. And it sometimes is really sore, especially when I wake up in the morning and sitting around at a desk trying to work all day doesn't help. Just makes it worse, I think. So I got to get up and move once in a while like even more than I'm supposed to, but right. You know, so that's been fun. Uh, but on the bright side, we had, you know, all kinds of walking dead stuff to watch this week. Cool. 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 And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I don't think, uh, there's anything else to cover before we get to it. So we're going to start this podcast with a look at fear the walking dead season six, episode number one. And uh, then after that, we're going to lead into the first couple episodes of World Beyond, and we'll see how that goes. So, sure. How do you feel about that? I feel good about that, Chris. All right. Excellent news. So it's Fear Season 6, Episode 1. The title is The End is the Beginning. And I think that's a rather appropriate title for this episode, which we'll get into. But I want to start by reading something I found on Reddit here. A user by the name of Vader Mall Kylo posted this on Reddit, and I thought it was hilarious. He writes, This show is so fucking wildly inconsistent that it's a blast to watch. I mean, seriously. The show had a pretty decent first season, a terrible start to a second season, a great ending for the second season, a third season that was one of the best seasons of TV I've watched, a damn good start to a fourth season, an absolutely horrendous fourth season after episode five, 
a decent enough start to the fifth season, one of the worst seasons of all time after that, and now we have an incredible season six premiere that is one of the best episodes of either show. This is just fucking hilarious, to be honest. Like, man, I've never seen a show that ranges from one of the worst things I've ever watched to perhaps the best show on TV. It's just so fucking wacky how much the quality can range. It's unprecedented. <laughs> it is. And I, I don't know if that's what they were going for. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure that's what the show is going for, but I think this yeah. dude, Vader Mall Kylo, sums it up reasonably well about how the show is all over the place because I don't know about you, Jason, but I thought the premiere of season six was actually really quite good. I was disappointed that we didn't have any John Dory. I want all John Dory all the time. Okay. Well, I, I can see, or I, I, I should have known you would be disappointed by that because I know you're a huge John Dory fan, as am I, as yeah. are most people because John is awesome. Mm-hmm. However, They've stated publicly that season six of Fear is going to be way more anthology based than it ever has been before. So you should expect each episode to focus on one or two of the characters doing whatever they're doing wherever they are because Ginny split them all up and took them to different places. Right. Okay. Well, did I know that? I didn't know that. No, I that don't think more you anthology that. based. No, I didn't know that. So I didn't know what to expect. And I'm like, what? We got a bottle episode with Morgan. I mean, that's okay. You know, it, it was, it was, it was okay, but, uh, I don't think it was fantastic. I thought it was, uh, it was relatively, relatively good. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to be convinced otherwise that I, it was better than I, I originally thought. Well, here's the thing. Like I can remember sitting here whenever the hell it was talking about the first episode of season five of fear going, you know what? That was a pretty good episode. Good start to the season. I'm looking forward to this. Let's see where it goes from here. And then, of course, as the Reddit user said, season five was one of the worst things ever on TV. So, um, you know, I'm trying not to get too excited uh, and I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much. And even though I think there was a bunch of silliness in this episode, I actually think it was really solid. And maybe that comes down to the fact that you throw Lenny James at something and, and give it, give it to him, you know, let him be the, the focus and he can, he can make things really good. But I certainly don't want to discount, uh, you know, the writers of this episode and the director and everybody else who was involved that of course has a hand in making it what it is. But ultimately I thought it all came together. And again, fear has started the season on a really strong note, I think. Okay, so I'll I'll give you the uh, the fight at the end, uh, with uh, with Morgan fighting that uh, tracker dude. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought that was pretty good, and I kind of like the idea. Well, I don't know, Lenny's not Lenny. Uh, Morgan is all over the map as far as uh, what he is. Like I refuse to kill people. To I'm chopping this guy's head off. Yeah. Uh, and so and then coming back with uh, you know him on the radio saying uh, Morgan's dead. And you're dealing with somebody else now. Yeah. He's got, he's got a hound dog, he's got a battle axe, and he's got a horse, and he's got a new attitude, and he's going to fuck with your shit. And I like that. I think that, uh, I think that's all kinds of, uh, going to be interesting. I I think he's, he's John McClane in the Death Star, uh, (laughs) and he's going to mess with, uh, everybody's shit. 
yeah, totally. I mean, let's let's just jump right to that. And so that that guy, the bounty hunter, his name is Emile Larue, which is a pretty cool name. And I thought he was super cool, and I'm sort of bummed out that yeah, he was killed off already right at the end. They introduced this pretty badass character, seems interesting, has a fun job <laughs> tracking people down and cutting their heads off. <laughs> Oh yeah, hunting people and killing them. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, oh, and I got the impression that he was putting people in his beans as well. Uh, but, it was Tabasco because he said there was a secret secret ingredient, and then he, uh, yeah, then he said it was Tabasco. But I don't know, maybe it was a little bit of long pork in there. <laughs> oh, I didn't think of that, but um, the guy at the beginning, Walter, sir, seemed to really enjoy them. So yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, he was. He was super cool. So that dude was played by a guy named Demetrius Gross, born February 26, 1981 in Washington, D.C. That's my birthday. I know. That's why I said it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know this actor at all, but he has been around. I think he was on, oh, he was on a show that you watched when I looked him up. Um, I forget what it is now, but. I, not... I recognized him. What was, he said Demetrius Gross? Yeah, Demetrius Gross. Um. Anyways, I thought he was cool. And his introduction at the beginning, when he was sitting there eating the beans just alone by the forest, you know what it reminded me of? What's that? John Dory's introduction. When we started, in fact, that would have been probably the season five premiere, right? John Dory's, we don't know who he is. He's sitting there. He's, he's, John is just talking to nobody into the woods, right? Um, Emil here is sitting there eating and then, you know, Walter comes running out of the woods and it turns out Walter's the guy he's trying to kill. Um, but it just, the whole setting of it all reminded me of John's introduction a bit, which I thought was cool. So there you go. You got a, you know, a reference to John Dory in this one, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit. He was justified is what you're thinking of. Justified is the one. You've watched that, right? I've seen Justified. I really like Justified. Uh, I'm trying to remember his character in Justified. I don't at the moment. Oh, there we go. Got it. I just I went through his pictures on IMDb, and uh, yeah. now, I, now I get it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, go watch Justified, everybody. I, I will have to someday. Um, but a cool character that I think is, you know, as, uh, killed off too early, but that being said, there is something to the concept of leaving people wanting more. So, you know, it maybe it played into the quality of this episode to have him introduced and ultimately killed off at the end. Um, but he was fun. And that fight that they had was pretty great, I think. It, well, it, it was. I was expecting, I was half expecting Morgan to die. Really? Because he is in pretty rough shape at that point, right? Yeah. He's got a festering wound that smells so bad that the zombies leave him alone. Yep. Which is, that's got to smell bad. And he, and, I, and uh, Demetrius, whatever, I forget his character, is Emile, Emile. LaRoche? LaRue. LaRue. Uh, yeah. So it, he said, uh, I can smell you from here, right? Basically, you smell so bad that I can smell you, you know, 50 yards away mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, you know, Morgan's in pretty rough shape, yet he's still able to take out this guy, uh, you know, in, in a knockdown, drag out bitch of a fight. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. But even though they knocked, you know, they knocked him to the ground and then forgot about him for a while. I'm like, don't forget about the guy. He's going to get back up. Haven't you ever watched TV before? <laughs> That's right. You just know he's not going to lie there. Yeah. 
Uh, but uh, Morgan did, he did need Isaac's help, right? Even though yes. he was in rough shape too. He was. Um, but what you're saying is, is sort of the first thing I thought of with this episode that is part of the silliness of it all a little bit. The idea that Morgan has lived, he says, for five or six weeks since he was left on the uh, porch of that church mm-hmm. by, by Ginny with the zombies approaching him. He was shot in the chest. So he's been, it's been six weeks since then. He's had that bullet in his chest. It's a horrible wound. It was starting to rot so badly, as you said, that it stank from that far away. Yeah. Uh, it smelled so much it kept the zombies away. He could barely walk, yet he was able to fight off, earlier in the episode, a pretty solid group of zombies. And yep. then, of course, fight off Emil, who is a pretty capable and dangerous bounty hunter. So, well, Emil's his tracking was so good that I assumed he had a pin on his mini map telling him where his target was, or <laughs> at least the general area, so that he could go there and, uh, com- you know, continue the plot. You're That's right. the only explanation I can come up with for that tracking ability, because he not only tracked them to the, uh, to the area where the the, the dam was right behind the dam, mm-hmm. but he went around the dam, which the other guy said it took two days. Yep. So he didn't track him to the dam and go through that crack in the dam, which I have a problem with on its own, but he tracked them not only there, but went all the way around without his truck. Mm-hmm. So how the hell did he get over there? Well, I want to ask you about your problem with the crack in the dam, but first off, you're absolutely right that... You know, the, the show made a point to say how secure this location was. Nobody would ever find it. They explained that Virginia hasn't found it because it, it used to be a lake. And if you look on any map, it's just a big lake. So why would anyone be there living in the middle of the lake? Yeah. Yet, you're right, Emil shows up basically the same day from the other side, <laughs> which they kind of made a point of saying it takes two days to get around. So... It's the show playing fast and loose with the details a little bit. And that, again, it adds to the silliness of it all. But for some reason, I think because maybe it was Lenny James and the guy who played Isaac, I thought was really good too. Mm -hmm. They saved this episode from being completely nothing but silliness and bringing it back to something that I enjoyed. Right. And Morgan made a pretty sweet uh, house out of a water tank. Uh, a uh, water tower. Yeah, that that is a very cool house, actually. I think it's a great idea for living it's in a, the It's a pretty apocalypse. wicked idea. Yeah, I think so. Until you encounter a, a guy with a hitch and a rope who can just pull it down with his truck. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's the whole thing about water towers, right? You just pull them down <laughs> if you need to. <laughs> if you need to, I suppose. Did well, you go to the coordinates that uh, Morgan wrote on his backpack? I sure did. Me too. And so it's in Texas, right? Uh-huh. So we know that this, this whole thing has taken place in, uh, you know, Texas on a dirt road because, you know, there was no street view of that particular road. But I think it was some kind of semi-private road because it looked like there was a gate that was open on uh, street view going there. But anyway, uh, so that was interesting uh, seeing exactly where that was. But I didn't quite understand why he wrote the coordinates on his backpack. Well. I wasn't sure either. It was used in the context of the show for when, so after the encounter in the shop where uh, he first runs into Isaac yeah. and then Emil shows up, Morgan sneaks out the back, passes out in the middle of the road, and 
Isaac finds him and takes him back to the water tower and says, I knew where this was because you wrote the coordinates on your backpack. And he's got built-in GPS well, in, in his brain, right? I get he must because, once again, silliness, like coordinates. You, you show me some coordinates, I don't even know where to start without my phone. So it begs the question, do the GPS satellites still work? Like they're just flopping around the earth uh, in their little orbits, uh, you know, spitting out their, their little tune in order to, to have GPS works. Uh-huh. You know how GPS works, right? I do. Yes. So yeah, they, they spit out this little tune, right? This sequence of uh, ones and zeros and uh, the GPS units can coordinate all that information and figure out where they are, mm-hmm. where, where that unit is. It triangulates so, and then- Triangulates. What uh, it does like is- that my, under- nine. my understanding is it results in usually two possible locations, but one yeah. of them is often, you know, many kilometers off the surface of the earth. So they disregard that, assuming that you're yeah. probably not there and then place you in there tra- Yeah. And it also assumes you're not traveling at Mach 15. Right. Right. Cause it's, yes, it's, you know, if you're, you know, half a kilometer up and traveling at Mach 15, there's a good chance that that's not you. I mean, you're probably the stationary dude on the planet. You know, there's a good chance that you're not Superman. Yeah. Yeah. But the space shuttle has, uh, or had, or rockets now have GPS that are uh, capable of resolving that going, oh, if you're a couple kilometers up and you're going Mach 15, that's okay. Cause this particular GPS unit, uh, <laughs> is supposed to, you know, that's a, that's a valid, a valid uh, scenario. Right. Right. But anyway, this guy, so the, the question is, do the GPS satellites still work? Cause I assume they need to be calibrated and or maneuvered every now and again to maintain their precise orbits in order to do this shit. Uh, so if they go off kilter after 10 years, uh, you know, GPS is going to be off. So first of all, how did Morgan know his goddamn coordinates? Uh, and second of all, well, maybe Morgan had the GPS unit in his backpack. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we saw him put water in there. We saw him dealing with some medication and stuff like that, which I suppose just as an aside is how we're supposed to believe he lived this long. He's taking, you know, uh, and medication that's staving off infection and stuff like that. I, I guess. It's probably not working. But you're right. Um, maybe he had a GPS unit in his backpack and he was using that to get around. I am not so convinced that GPS satellites would just stop working like that. I mean, when you put something in space, you want to be damn sure that it's going to be functional without having to like go up and make repairs every couple of months. Cause that's a little expensive. Well, not repairs. I'm just thinking about, you know, uh, maneuvering, slight maneuvering, a little burst of, you know, just to adjust your orbit a little bit because it's decaying or off kilter or, Uh, Maybe the programming handles that. I have no idea. Like if it goes off, it kind of recalibrates itself saying, well, you know what? Actually, I'm over here now. Yeah. So that's okay. But either either way, if if when Morgan was using the GPS and he found the inaccurate coordinates, the other guy would find the equally inaccurate coordinates and they would match up. Right. Right. So when you and I looked up the accurate coordinates, that's not where it is. No. I would assume. So we wouldn't, you know, if we went there, we probably wouldn't find a water tower. No, I didn't find one on the map. There was not much there. No, there was not much there. But so if they had just shown the GPS unit, if him throwing the GPS unit into the backpack, that would explain Morgan knowing the coordinates and uh, what's his eyebrows uh, knowing how to get back to them. Mm-hmm. But they didn't. No, but they didn't. Um, 
but you know, whatever. I mean, if, if it was there, it was there. So yeah, he, he takes him back and the, basically the episode kind of progresses from there and Morgan doesn't really trust Isaac and Isaac knows his name and he knows about the people Morgan was with and so on. And they explained that by saying that Isaac heard or watched those tapes that they'd right. been making about helping people, right? And leaving the boxes on the side of the road. And I must admit, I'm really glad all that's behind us, but it was kind of a clever way to have Isaac, you know, brought up to speed really quick. It's like, I don't need to get to know you. I already know you. I watched the movie you made. Well, yeah, well, that's the nature of, you know, fame. You know, <laughs> if you uh, if you know somebody that, or you don't know somebody that's famous, you feel like you know them and then you, you meet them uh, in real life and you start spewing facts about them. It's like, dude, you don't actually know me. You just know, you know, the public me. Right. But, you know, Morgan did spew his name on those tapes and distribute them around. So he's, you know, he's apocalypse famous. Sure. And which I guess is sort of, you know, like Canadian famous, which is, <laughs> aren't, aren't you, what's his name? Maybe it's like podcast famous. <laughs> podcast famous. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I just thought the tapes finally served a purpose, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Which I'm not sure they ever did last year. Uh, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Why were Morgan's eyes red? Because uh, he was sick. Is it because he was infected? He, he was, was dying? infected by uh, whatever his gangrene, maybe? Maybe gangrene does that. I mean, that reminds- Or maybe they- Sorry, go ahead. That makes your eyes red? I don't know. I have no idea. Okay. I've never had gangrene. I've never seen anybody with gangrene. No. I don't want to look up gangrene on the internet. Oh God, don't, so don't Google I, that. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the only, if it's not gangrene related, it's related to them needing a really cool poster for this season. Right. Well, doctors or any healthcare people out there who might have some experience in this area, let us know if that kind of infection or gangrenous, gangrenous thing. Necrotic tissue. Yeah. Crap. If that makes your eyes turn red because... I've never heard that, but I'd be interested in knowing. And you're right. I really don't want to Google that. Yeah. And no details, just uh, yes, that would do that. Or no, that wouldn't do that would be fine. <laughs> it's true. We don't really need to know why you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or any other details. That's fine. All right. Uh, okay. So let's talk for a minute about the mystery around who saved Morgan from that church. Because those zombies were pretty close. I went back and watched the end of the last episode of season five. And when it cuts the black at the end, those zombies are pretty darn close to him and he's not going anywhere. So what we learned in this episode is that Morgan does not know who saved him. Right. And he doesn't know because he was in rough shape. He heard some gunshots. Then he blacked out. And when he came to, he'd been patched up a little bit and whoever had saved him left him this note, but didn't sign it. And the note said, you don't know me, but I heard your message. You need to do the same. You still have things left to do. So I don't totally understand the, the note. Um, you don't know me. I heard your message. You need to do the same. Like, does hmm. that mean you need to hear my message? I don't know what or, that means. Or you need to keep doing what you're doing because then it finishes with you still have things left to do. Maybe that's the message. I'm not sure. I, 
I'm not sure either. It's all very, it's all very confusing. And I think that, uh, personally, I think that the person that patched up Morgan is someone we have not been introduced to yet. Here's the thing, Jason. I am, I'm going to say 85% sure that the person who patched up Morgan is somebody that we haven't been introduced to on this show yet. I see. You remember why Dwight came to this show? Because he was looking for Sherry. Right. So you think it was, it's Sherry? I'm 85% sure it was Sherry. Why she, are you 85% sure? Show uh, your work. Well, Sherry's going to be on this season of the show, A. Okay, that's 50%. <laughs> yeah. And B, uh, the internet, the rest of the internet seems to think, well, maybe it's Madison. Maybe she's alive and she's coming back. And I'm not as convinced of that, so I'm definitely going Sherry. I mean, if she's coming back to the show... I think this would be the way to introduce her. She saves Morgan. She takes off. Morgan doesn't know her, right? As far as I can remember. And, um, and she's going to show up somewhere else, probably going to join Morgan's crew, which consists of him and uh, Isaac's wife and child for now. And the dog. And the horse. horse. And the dog, right. Where, where, where he got the horse, I don't know. Where'd he get the horse? Did he steal it from the people that he... Made a barricade of in the in the in the road. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't All know. Right. I didn't think of that. Let's go with that. <laughs> Anyways, back to the, back to it. I'm pretty sure it's it's Sherry. Like this would be a fun way to introduce her. I think. All right. I'm. Uh, I, I understand your thought process, but. I can only get to 50, 50%. I can't, I don't think I can get all the way to 85%. I definitely don't think it's uh what's her name that got killed off? Madison. No, uh, it's not her. Uh, I either think it's Sherry or someone else that we haven't met yet. And I would give it a 50, 50 chance that it's either one of those. I'd just be surprised if, if they threw in a new character out of nowhere that saves our hero. You know what I mean? Like it, we just had that. Well, we we had what are you talking about, Emil? Emil, yeah, yeah. He, didn't, he didn't save our hero. Well, he he put our hero on a new path. Let's say that's for sure, right? Yeah. Um, it, Morgan, in a way, almost took over his identity. <laughs> he know? was wearing his hat, wearing his coat, took his sword, took his dog. Yeah. No, I was thinking the other guy, the guy that died. What's his name? Isaac. Jeez, oh, I'm bad at this name thing. Quick aside, my son. When he's only four and he can watch any television show or movie at any point, you can pause it and ask him who the characters are and he will be able to name all of them. Okay. I don't know how he does it. It doesn't make any sense to me. I barely remember your name. Well, he's got the brain of a child that absorbs things quickly. Yours is old and just forgetting but stuff at this point. Just the act of paying attention thing. I, I just, I don't think I ever had that where I actively paid attention to all of what's going on in front of me. My wife can do that. When she watches TV, she's like completely emotionally invested in what she's watching. Uh, I'm distracted by like seven other things, no matter what is going on. Right. Anyway, uh, sorry, what did you say his name was? <laughs> Isaac. Isaac. Just write this shit down. All right. So, no, I'm thinking Isaac. Isaac shows up out of nowhere. We just got introduced to him and he saved Morgan like twice. If not three times. Okay, fair. You're right. Uh, so that tells me they're not going to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so no matter what I say, it's going to be proof that your opinion is right. No, no, not at all. We're, we, we'll find out. I mean, I, I don't know. I just think that, uh, 
I just think there's the simplest explanation is generally the the correct one, and I think right. in this case it's probably Sherry. Occam's uh, razor. Yeah, I I don't know when she's coming back. I don't know at what point. Like for all I know, she isn't going to be reintroduced until the end of the season. But uh, you know, if that's the case, then sure, maybe it's not her. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see her a little bit sooner. Um, and I'm I am looking forward to that because I'm glad that they didn't just say you know what Morgan doesn't know who saved him. He heard these gunshots. And we're never going to tell you because that's that's unsatisfying to me right. as a viewer, and it would make me feel like they're kind of just you know lazy on this one particular thing. So I'm glad they're going to tell us, um, and hopefully it comes soon. All right. Uh, I guess finally, what's the deal with the key? So Walter had the key, and then Emil took the key, and when he died, Morgan noticed the key. He picked it up. And then uh, the guys at the end who are spray painting the submarine, which we should probably talk about. We should probably talk about that. Uh, they they mention that they they need the key or want the key. So it's the key to the submarine. I mean, the key to the nukes on the submarine. It's the one of the two keys for launch. You think so? I don't know. It's the only time I can think of a correlation between submarine and key. Mm-hmm. I, uh, maybe I didn't think of that. Um, what's the submarine doing there? Well, that's another question. Uh, it's in the middle of nowhere. We have a, we have a thing about water going away. Mm -hmm. right? So I assume that uh, not only, okay, so let's take this a step back to the dam, then uh, that crack in the dam and the water level going. So even if the water dropped the day of the zombie apocalypse, that was what, 10 years ago? Yes. The trees that are in that, uh, in that area are older than 10 years. Okay. That is not 10 years of tree growth, my friend. That is 20 years of tree growth, at least. Okay, fair. All right. So that's completely horseshit. And, uh, you know, flooding towns in order to do that. I mean, we've done that. Look at the, uh, uh, the Trans-Severn Waterway that we have uh, up north of us a little bit. The Trans-Severn Waterway is a way, during the War of 1812... Uh, when they're like, okay, we're gonna, we're kind of thinking of uh, invading the U.S. and burning down the White House, and they're gonna come here and fight and stuff. But we want to be able to get from essentially Barry over to uh, Lake Erie, like whatever, uh, or no, the um, uh, Ottawa, this, like it goes over Ottawa. towards that way, yeah, yeah, over towards Ottawa. But we don't want to have to go past Toronto and Buffalo and all that shit. So we want to be able to go around. So what they did was they plotted out all this shit, and then they flooded the whole goddamn thing. Right. Okay. And so, and they have all these feeder lakes. Your grandpa had a cottage on a feeder lake for the Trans Severn Waterway. Yep. And in the in in the spring, the water level was very very high. But and then as time goes on, they needed to keep the Trans Severn at a constant level, so they would drain all of these feeder lakes uh, throughout the course of the summer to make sure that that waterway was there. And they flooded all kinds of farms and towns and stuff. Like there was, uh, uh, there's. Jenny, my wife's dad had a cottage up there for a long time. And there was people that lived up there, uh, like real old people that remembered when they flooded the damn thing. I mean, it was not 1812. It was probably way later. But when they, when they flooded it, it was like, yeah, that's where the cows used to uh, pasture. Weird. Out there in the middle of the lake. So, you know, everybody does this, right? They flood shit. They flood towns and stuff. So I thought that was pretty cool that, uh, you know, for this lake that they put behind this dam 
that uh, that there was a little town there that they could use as shelter. But that hole in the dam didn't really strike me as a realistic hole in a dam. Well, it's you don't don't just make a crack that is wide enough for a person to walk through with a nice even path for them to walk on. It's the same problem I had with the caves in the Big Show, is that those caves had very flat areas for you to put your feet on. Mm-hmm. It was like a path through this crack. Yep. And uh, right at ground level, like right at ground level. as a little too convenient for of my course. taste. Uh, yeah. The, the funny thing about the hole in the dam on this one it was that it was kind of person-shaped. Like, yeah, they're walking out of it. It's like the shape of a person with his arms out. And uh, I thought that was kind of hilarious, but. Maybe the hole in the dam was made by a really dense superhero that (laughs) fell into the dam, like fell into the water, into the lake, uh, and then got to the the bottom of the, uh, bottom of the lake. It's like, damn it, I got to get out of here. What's the quickest way? Well, I'm right next to the dam. If I just walk through the dam, then I'll be on the other side. So he did that. Right. (laughs) Made up, made a hole. Seems like the kind of thing Homelander might do. Just saying. It's, uh, yeah, don't spoil anything for me. Cause I, you know, I have to catch up on, uh, on that kind of, on that show. Uh, I'm a little behind and I'm a little nervous about watching the internet because I've seen some things on the internet. I don't know about, okay, if anybody's a YouTube content creator, stop using goddamn spoilers as your thumbnail for your freaking videos, guys, because <laughs> <laughs> that's annoying. Because you're upsetting Jason. Yes, it's very upsetting. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's the only explanation I can think of is that we have a really dense superhero. Yeah, that's the only thing I could think of, too. <laughs> and the same superhero probably put that submarine in the middle of the desert. Uh, probably. Oh, back to the sub, right. So how does it get there? I don't know. Um, the only explanation is that it was in the lake, and the lake drained, and the sub had nowhere to go, and so it just got stranded there. But, I mean, there's really no submarines, submarines in lakes. No, there's no submarines in lakes. Those are ocean vessels exclusively, I think. Like there are definitely no submarines subbing around the Great Lakes. Are there? Well, not that they've told me about. That we know of, right. Right. We only have a few submarines, like two or three in Canada. And I'm pretty sure that none of them are in the Great Lakes. Yeah. And, you know, it seems like it would be a waste of resources to put a giant submarine, even in Lake Superior, which is big and deep, but like, what's the point? So I don't know why the not sub a, is there. Not a nuclear submarine, not a military submarine. Like this was not a exploratory submarine, right? This was a military submarine. Uh-huh. Which was rusty on the bottom. I always thought that they were like black all the way around, not just on the top half. Like it was, it was black on the top half and all rusty on the bottom, like orange on the bottom. I don't know. They don't, they don't do that, do they? Well, I, I have no idea, but... I'm more interested in what it's doing there. I hope the explanation is not dumb, um, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold my breath too hard on that one. Well, well the we'll only thing see. I can think of is that uh, you know Texas, where we saw the coordinates, yeah, is on the you know has uh, is on the Gulf of Mexico, and the Gulf of Mexico is, Mexico is connected to the ocean, and so the ocean is where submarines come from. Uh that's where they're born. Yes. So the submarine probably was in the Gulf of Mexico along the shoreline and then all of the oceans drained. I I don't know, man. I don't know. (laughs) It's like, 
if they do something dumb, like there was a big storm and the, it got picked up in the storm and deposited in the middle of the desert, like... Like that, the Black Rock? That's going to be so stupid. So I don't know. Maybe it's not a real sub. Maybe it's like a big prop model sub. Remember, you know, Humbug's Gulch. That was, a, that was like a fake cowboy town for a fun experience for people pre-apocalypse. Maybe this is a fake novelty theme park ride submarine or something like that, you know? I don't know. Could be. Yeah, I don't think so. Don't know. I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be weird. I, the only explanation I can think of for this is that same superhero can also pick up submarines and fly. Yeah. Because obviously so. he can breathe underwater because, you know, he got to the bottom of that lake and went, ah, I got to walk out of here <laughs> like a chump. I'm walking through this wall. Like a chump. Yeah. So, yeah, we got some weird kind, kind of super dense, super strong, water breathing uh, superhero. Well, or super villain. Let's find out. Let us find out as the season goes on. So, despite all that, Jason, I I did like this episode. It was it was a rebirth for Morgan. I thought you know the whole Morgan Jones is dead. You're dealing with somebody else now. Was a fun line. He looked super cool in his new outfit and hat at the end. And the whole episode was an excuse to reinvent this character and just kind of start fresh with him because. God, he was a pain in the ass last year. Uh, and I know Morgan has flip-flopped to be from one thing to another across both shows for years now. But God, let's hope they stick with this for a while because I think like this kind of badass Morgan sounds pretty fun. And what I think they're doing is setting it up um, so that, as I said, all our characters are spread out. It's going to be kind of an anthology show for a while, but I think Morgan and whoever he ends up teaming up with is going to be the connective thread through it all. He's going to be the one trying to track everybody down, get them back and essentially reunite the group, get the band back yep. together. Yep. It's a, it's a world, uh, worthy cause. Right. And, and they needed to reinvent the character into this sort of new Morgan to do that. So... We'll have to see. We'll see where it goes. Um, fear, you have burned me before, but, uh, you know, I guess I don't learn my lesson. Yeah, that submarine's going to be tricky to explain. Well, it will, but you never know. So, and another thing I did like was uh, the guy spray painting on the submarine. Uh, what, what The whole thing he wrote was the end is not the beginning. No, he wrote the, the end is the beginning, the title the, of the episode. Which, uh, right. Which I thought was entertaining because right at the beginning of the episode, he wrote the end. And at the end of the episode, he wrote the word beginning, which uh -huh. I thought was kind of fun. Very clever writers. <laughs> Very clever. I think this was written by the showrunners, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, yes. So, yeah. Well, I've got a few emails from here from people about this. I think we've talked about some of this already, so we'll go through them quick. But Perry in Oregon writes... I was invested when I watched the season finale of the main show. I was invested watching the premiere of World Beyond, and I am excited to see what they do with it. While watching Fear, however, I lost count of how many what-the-hells I said. I found myself checking the runtime to see if it was over yet. Why did they leave the truck when a sapling lay across the road? How is Morgan simultaneously mortally wounded, feverish and weak, and still able to swing his staff? And most importantly, how in the hell did a submarine end up in the desert? in Texas. So some of the same questions. The only new one there is like when they were in the truck and they got to a part where there was a little branch across the road, they're like, well, can't go any farther. We're going to have to walk from here. When I feel like they could have probably cleared that branch or maybe just driven over it. Well, there was a bunch of 
bodies in the road too, right? No, not that one. Earlier, oh. when Morgan and Isaac were in the truck, uh, in oh, Emil's truck, they got to a point where there was a couple trees over the road and they just abandoned the truck and moved on on foot. I've had two experiences of driving down the road and encountering a branch or a tree across the road. In the first experience, uh, we were driving uh, my friend's mom's Jeep. Uh, it was a Jeep YJ way back in the day. And we tried to tow that rope out of the way because, like, fuck, we got a Jeep. We got a tow rope. Let's wrap a, wrap around the uh, uh, the tree and tow it out of there. Uh-huh. We put a, we damn near pulled the bumper off and put a nice big, like, solid friggin' half-inch steel bumper on this Jeep. And we put a nice size gouge out of it. Uh, and damn near pulled the bumper right off and the tree went pretty much nowhere. Uh, so the second time was driving down the road, uh, in a car. So not any kind of vehicle, but there was a tree down, uh, in the middle of the road. It's like, well, I'm not moving the tree. Somebody else probably not moving the tree. Whoever's moving the tree has probably got a phone call by now and they're on their way. So do I stick around or, and wait for the tree to get moved and cut and wait three hours, or do I find another road? So we found another road. Yeah, fair. Neither one of those in, uh, resulted in abandoning the vehicle and going and continuing on foot. No, but, but you know, the, I these guys did. had a map. Yeah, I had a map of <laughs> where to go and alternate routes. Sure. Well, these guys <laughs> might have had a GPS, as we've discussed. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily have a map. It just tells you where you are. All right. right? And where you've been, but (laughs) not where you're supposed to go on the road. I thought it was a little silly too, but I guess maybe the tree was bigger than I'm remembering. Uh, Next is Mindy on the internet. Mindy writes, Isaac's wife, Rachel, gave birth pretty much alone while her husband and red-eyed new bestie Morgan are duking it out with a mean cowboy and then somehow managed to bury her husband under a mound of substantial rocks and most likely performed bullet removal surgery on Morgan all as a new mom. When I was a new mom, getting through a shower and having a hot meal was the pinnacle of accomplishment. (laughs) I liked Isaac and was genuinely sad to see him go so soon. I'm hoping maybe they'll keep this lady around. She's tough. Uh, Good points, Mindy, although I'm pretty sure Rachel said that Isaac performed the surgery before he died. Yeah. So that was nice of him. It was nice of him. He did that, and then I guess she did pile the rocks when he died, but what are you going to do? Um, maybe he has to sleep at some point. <laughs> yeah, but that's when mom sleeps too, right? It's supposed to be the case, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when when Jasper was born, uh, you know, we spent the first month without going downstairs, other than me going downstairs and preparing meals and bringing them upstairs. Uh-huh. So there were, there was two of us, and I couldn't have done that uh, you know, I couldn't have carved out enough time to, uh, to pile a bunch of rocks like that. So yeah, she's, uh, she, she's superwoman. She's tough. Maybe she's the superhero. Maybe. She probably did a one handed while carrying a sleeping baby. Probably. Look at After her. giving birth all by herself. <laughs> yeah. That's and the... dragged her dead husband all the way to that spot. Oh my God. Cause he probably didn't die in that spot. Uh, no, probably not. Maybe he died. Maybe he knew he was going to die and like piled everything up and made a nice hole and then lay down in the hole and then died. So she just had to move the rocks like a couple of inches each and (laughs) did it over the course of a week. Just roll a few more in here. Why not? But Uh, she left the bounty hunter guy just lying in the road. 
Yeah, his head was still there. (laughs) It was still there, chomping away, growling away. Yeah, that was, uh, I'm going to bury my husband and let this guy sleep, but leave the little tray of bloody mess right beside him. Uh, And then I'm just going to leave that other guy lying in the road. You know what? I did love that Morgan put his head in the box labeled Morgan Jones for Ginny to find. I thought that was a nice touch. It was pretty good. On Morgan's part. All right, friend of the show, Adam in Texas, writes, I love this episode. Give Morgan a standalone, and it's very likely to be awesome. For the third or fourth time, we're seeing Morgan reinvent himself. And there was nary a cheesemaker in sight. I also really liked the Isaac character, too. Very interesting backstory, and I'm sure he'll make an interesting ally. And he's dead. (laughs) Right. So there you go. Uh, Next is Caden in Alberta. Caden writes, how did the dog know how to find Morgan? Did Ginny give his owner something that had a scent on it? Or did that dog somehow know to specifically sniff him out by being told to find someone named Morgan Jones? Also, how did that guy have a drawing of Morgan? Just wondering what your thoughts are on all that, or did I miss something? He didn't miss anything. That guy's got, uh, he's obviously been given a mission packet of what exactly needs to be done, along with a mini map uh, with pins on it telling him where to go next. Clearly something like that, because yes, he had the drawing, the dog knew what to sniff for. I don't know that anything, well, I wonder, did, did the guy like, no, cause the, the, the dog was already, uh, following his scent when he found him in the, in that yep. shop, right? Yeah. Cause he said the dog recognizes the scent of the guy I'm tracking. Yeah. So at that point, fine. Then he has the scent. But before that, I don't know how he had it. Yeah, and the, and the and the drawing. Yeah, I mean, maybe he met up with Ginny off screen to like accept the mission and be given the supplies and then move on. It would have been nice to see that though. Oh, I don't know, man. He just got a call with a name and he's off, and then he finds him, and he knows what to do. Yeah, I I yeah. don't know. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, he, we got some superheroes going on here. Uh, he's obviously got some magic tracking ability. Yeah. I guess so, which we'll never find out more about because now he's dead. Yeah, but Morgan has it now. Morgan now has the magic tracking ability. He's got the magic cloak. He's got the magic hat. He's got the magic dog. He's got the, uh, the plus one battle axe. That's, uh, yeah, he's all set. Okay. Well, he needs it because he, if he's going to be the thread that ties this all together, finding his friends, he needs those powers. He does. He does. All right. Finally, we have a call here from Scott. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jason. This is Scott from Arkansas. I uh, just wanted to touch base regarding the uh, first new episode of the season of Fear the Walking Dead and the first two episodes of World Beyond. Uh, by the way, let me say congratulations on the recent 500th uh, episode of the podcast, guys. Still rocking and rolling. Uh, was really moving hearing all the uh, intros. Um, was kicking myself for not sending you guys a recording, but oh well. Life goes on. So I'm going to start with the goods. Fear of the Walking Dead. Uh, I gotta say, I was very pleasantly impressed with how good I thought the episode was, and that may be because the bar had been set so low by how bad the last season and a half of that show has been. But I thought it was good. It was really enjoyable. It wasn't perfect, but I thought it was well done. I liked the character of Isaac. I was kind of sad that uh, that he got killed off by the end of the episode because I was kind of hoping he was going to become one of the regulars on the show. Um, I really liked the antagonist. Um, the, I guess, bounty hunter or headhunter, if you will. I really thought it was a uh, really well-written and well-acted character, so that was a lot of fun. There were a few minor nitpicks 
uh, of the episode. Most of them were nothing major enough to even really bring up, except I will mention one, and that would be how in the world that a woman who literally just gave birth to a baby uh, dug a grave and buried her husband and piled rocks up by herself, but we'll let that go. So now that that's done, let's get on to the bad world beyond. Holy crap. Gimple, gimple, gimple. You bastard. Ugh. When the show was announced, my first thought was, oh great, this is going to be a Walking Dead young adult adventure. As I figured I'd give it a chance anyway, and two episodes in, that's exactly what it is, and there's just nothing about it that I find enjoyable. Uh, the characters annoy me, the writing annoys me, just ugh. But anyway, that's just my two cents worth. Keep up the good job, guys. And uh, can't wait to hear the next podcast. Thanks. Bye. All right. Thank you, Scott. What, I, I wanted to put his at the end there because it sort of finishes off fear and transitions into World Beyond, which we're going to do right now. But you know what I like most yep. about his his call? <laughs> the background noises? Yeah. Is that it sounds like he's sitting in an idling <laughs> truck the whole time. And then when he finishes, it sounds like the truck drives away. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty cool. And there was a train honking in the background. That was awesome. There was something going on. Yeah, that was fun. But um, all right. Well, on that, let's move on into some discussion about the first two episodes of The Walking Dead World Beyond. So the first one was entitled Brave. And the second one was entitled The Blaze of Gory. <laughs> and um, although I have made notes sort of separately on these two, I... I kind of want to just talk about them as one unit if we can. I don't know that there's much point in separating them out, but uh, let's see. Let's see how it goes. So, you know, the first episode here was a ton of setup, a ton of introductions to new characters, stage setting, um, but also feeding us a ton of information about what it is that propels these kids to leave the comfort of their society and go on a road trip out into the dangers of the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. The world beyond their walls. Exactly. Exactly. So we got, we got a double meaning here. We got the world beyond because they set up the, uh, the CRM. What did that stand for again? Well, the CRM is the civic Republic military and they act on behalf of the civic Republic, which is the community. Right, and there's the three, there's Portland, and uh, there's the three cities. No, so that's the Alliance of the Three. The Civic, the Civic Republic is one of the communities. They are the biggest. They're the one that's in, that's somewhere in New York State. But the other right. two are Omaha, Nebraska, and Portland, Oregon. And the one we're in here is actually an, an offshoot of the Omaha one called the Campus Colony, which is outside, just outside Omaha. Oh, man alive. I did not capture the political landscape of this show. It's tough. I must admit it's difficult. Although um, I did watch the first episode of this show twice, and it's it's all there. Um, I was a little confused about whether the campus colony was the Omaha settlement or a separate one, and I, I think it's separate, despite the fact that they say there are uh, over 9,000 people there. There was a lot of people there for that speech. There was a lot of people in that group. Well, sure, but there weren't 9,000. I mean, 9,000 people is a ton of people. And the most interesting thing about that, I think, is that, um, well, number one, I'm not clear if like the, the rest of Omaha 
is still there. Like, is there, is there 50,000 people living in Omaha or something like crazy? But the main thing is the civic Republic is the biggest, most well-organized, uh, and I guess most secretive of these three colonies. And I think my, and my understanding is it's significantly larger than this campus colony that had 9,000. So right. regardless of what's out there, and I, and I don't know that we're going to get too much information on Portland because it's so far away and it's in the opposite direction, um, but we are going to get info about the Civic Republic. That's going to be a huge ass colony of people as far as I can tell. So that's the layout of the, um, re- you know, the political landscape and the relationship between these three places. All right. Well, they should do a better job next time of explaining that to my poor brain. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, so we're introduced to, uh, these two sisters, Iris and Hope. Their father, a guy named Leo, used to live with them here in Omaha, but he has moved over to the Civic Republic because he's some kind of genius scientist in epidemiology or something like that. And it's mentioned in this episode, you know, that he was taken over there to lend his scientific mind to the cause, searching for some kind of cure, which is one of those things that The Walking Dead hasn't really ever, I mean, I can't say never approached, but the main shows sort of stayed away from it and the comics sort of stayed away from it. Um, And then we're introduced to Elizabeth, who is the Civic Republic representative who comes to see them in Omaha. And the whole episode was kind of about getting to know these people, stage setting, where everybody is, what they're doing, and then using that as a launching pad for, you know, I guess the rest of the show, really. Right. So, like, what did you think about it? As a, as a brand new Walking Dead show, something that we've kind of seen before, but not really. How did you feel about this show, Jason? Were you on board with it or like Scott, the call a few minutes ago, was it not your cup of tea? Well, I kind of want to say both of these things at the same time, because, uh, both of these things are relevant and I kind of want to sum up my feelings by saying them, but I want to sum it up by saying them. I want to say it twice. So the first thing I want to say is somehow they managed to make the Walking Dead, boring. A little bit. I don't know how they did it, but it's just boring. And uh, even the zombies are boring. The kids are boring. Everything is so boring. It's like the start of the uh, the Star Wars prequels. Like what? Uh, you know, <laughs> we haven't had Star Wars for such a long time. Uh, and it's going to be so excited and people are going to be so excited to see this Star Wars thing. How do we start this off? It's like, oh, taxation and trade routes. That's the best idea is to explain that there is a trade route dispute and that these two Jedi are going in to resolve this issue. Like, God. Yep. Anyway, so... (laughs) uh, The Walking Dead is boring and uh, in this show... And I think they managed after two episodes, and I did get through both of these episodes. Uh, and it, I think it boils down to, I will continue to watch this show if you make me. And that's about it. Mm. Well. Because <laughs> I have no interest in this. 
because it kind of seems like a stand by me kind of bunch of kids going on a road trip in order to find a dead body. But in this case, the dead body is a living father. Uh, and so I was thinking stand by me. And then I was thinking, oh, I should be quippy and say, stand by zomb me. <laughs> stand by zomb me. All right. Zomb me. I'll, I'll allow it, but don't say anything <laughs> bad about stand by me. That's an amazing movie. Oh no, no. That's, that's a fantastic movie. This yeah. is this is derivative of that fantastic movie. Yeah, I loved that movie. I saw it in the theaters. It still uh, has, holds a warm place in my heart. Yep, uh, I think that's a fantastic movie, and I think about it uh, every once in a while, like fondly, and thinking about the ending where it's just so uh, uplifting and tragic and sad all at the same time. About these four friends that you know, two of them they just kind of you don't be friends anymore, hmm. and then you know you lose touch with someone and. Then they get stabbed. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. I mean, Sandby is an amazing movie, but I agree with you. I did, uh, I found it difficult to really get into this show. And I don't think that was a problem. Well, it's definitely not a problem with Walking Dead, but you can't compare the two. Different time, different everything. I don't remember it really being a problem with Fear, The Walking Dead. Um, but this one, yeah, it was tough. Um, I had, you know, I watched, I watched the first one twice and I watched the second one one and a half times. Funnily enough, the half viewing was the first time I tried to watch it, not the second. Now, to be fair, I fell asleep on the couch, uh, because it was late and I was tired, but I mean, that still tells you something, right? Like I was, I wasn't on the edge of my seat when, you know, anxious to find out what happened, I sort of wasn't able to keep my attention on it. So I don't think they were all bad. I think there was some good stuff here. I do like the other two characters really that I haven't mentioned yet, which were, um, Cyrus or Silas, uh, and Elton, the other two kids that they go out with, um, on yep. their road trip. Um, but, but I know what you're saying. It wasn't, it was a little bit slow. Right. Okay. So let me ask you a question. I have a couple questions. Sure. Uh, so the kid with the eighties outfit, which he explains away as, you know, sturdy clothing, bite proof. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Fine. Wear cord, corduroy, a corduroy suit. No problem. Why did he have an ice, fi ice fishing rod as his weapon? Well, I wasn't even sure it was an ice fishing rod. I thought it looked like a toy fishing rod. No, it's an ice fishing rod from the eighties. Like okay. you, I remember those things. You could buy them, and you know they were meant for like it's a short rod that you could stick in, and when you're sitting in an ice shack and you're ice fishing. Okay, that makes right? sense. I don't know why so, he had it. Was that that's his weapon of choice? Well, <laughs> I don't know how it's going to be an effective weapon against a zombie. I really don't know. <laughs> a plastic fishing rod yeah. with a hook on it, it's like. Are you, you what, what now? Anyway, yeah. so that didn't make any sense to me. Uh, yeah. And then he was going out. No, who was going? Yeah. He was going out, sneaking out all the time to try and find this, uh, horn. Was it a horn from a, what was he looking for? Triceratops. He said it was the horn from a triceratops. Right. So he was out looking for the horn for, for, from a triceratops that he owned. And he was just wandering around the countryside looking for it and he found it? Well, I, again, I didn't really understand that because he said it was, he said, it, I think he said it was a, going to be a gift for his sister. 
but his sister was never born. So we need to talk about this a little bit. The other, the other, um, uh, you know, component to this episode was what happened the night the sky fell. And this was early right. on back 10 years before when the zombie apocalypse first started, a plane crashed basically on top of these people and it was full of undead and it was panic and there was fire and we see a lot of that. And, um, this was, you know, the first horrible experience for many of these people in the zombie apocalypse, I guess. We learned through that though, that Iris and Hope got separated with yep. their individual parents. One of them, it was Hope, was with her mother, came across, um, a pregnant woman whom had a gun. She shot Iris and Hope's mother. Yep. Killed her. Poor Hope had to witness that. And Hope, as a little girl, picks up the gun and accidentally shoots the pregnant woman, killing her. Right. Turns out at the end, that was Elton's mother. So that was the big, that's the big, like, oh my God, tension moment here that Elton doesn't know that Hope killed his mother 10 years ago and his unborn sister. So right. that has to play out. And that was, that was like the biggest thing of this episode. I think they had to tell us that. And now we're wondering how that plays out. Um, but where I was going with that is that I don't, I don't understand how the Triceratops horn factors into it because he said it was a gift for his sister who was killed before she was born, you know, in the early days of the apocalypse. So that whole Triceratops thing didn't make any sense to me either. It's all very confusing. This just seems like it's a, you know, it's desperate housewives child edition. <laughs> it just, it, they're setting up all this political or not political, but this intrigue between the characters where it's like, oh no, Hope is, has killed what's his name's mother and he doesn't know they're going to find out. It's like, oh, I hate her so much. And it's just, it's, it's going to be, it's, it feels like, and this is the worry I had about this show is it feels like Melrose Place. It feels like Desperate Housewives. It feels like 90210. Uh, it's just that kind of, uh, teen angst uh, thrown into the zombie apocalypse uh, and they're on a road trip and the first place they find in order to spend the night is a treehouse where they play Monopoly. Uh-huh. Right. It's, uh, it just, it makes me kind of sad. I know. And then, and there was uh, old, old timey songs that they were, uh, that were playing in the background as well. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, they, they had to rush through so much stuff, right? There was actually a lot packed into this first episode, not just the night, the sky fell stuff. Like that was all the backstory on these characters. We also had to figure out what they were doing currently, you know, what position they were in. They had to reveal to us the status of, of, um, their father, Leo, you know, the, the CRM or the civic Republic stuff, they had to put that in there too. This show is going to be all about the Civic Republic, I think, and how secretive it is and how it relates to all the different shows. So they needed to introduce that really soon. But that meant they had to go from our characters kind of trusting them, or at least most of them trusting them, to not trusting them and have the dad send a message that says, I'm not safe here to spawn that distrust. So it was just... It's funny how so much was packed into this, yet none of it really grabbed me that much. You know, you'd think this would be jam-packed with interesting information, and it should have been, and I guess it was, but why wasn't I that excited about it? I don't know. 
I don't know. And why would they walk towards a tire fire? You know, tire fires are extremely toxic, right? Yeah, and they're walking right through it, basically. And they don't, yeah, they coughed a little bit at the beginning, but now it's smoke everywhere uh, and they have no problems. It's like, oh, everything's on fire. It's just, you know, it's just rubber. It's like, no, that's extremely noxious and you'd be throwing up and unable to continue to exist in this environment. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, I think it's kind of a cool set piece, to be honest with you. Like the the smoke and the haziness of it all, I I enjoyed. The scene in the second episode where they are trying to make their way through it, or at least the first stage of it, and then they get, you know, <laughs> they get through that and they think they're safe, yet they're nowhere near being safe. I didn't mind that scene. I thought it was fun. It was a little creepy and a little tense not being able to see the danger around them because of all the smoke. But the real reason that was there, and that, that's what was the, called the Blaze of Gory, that was the title of the second episode, that's the bog, the B-O-G. And we've seen that before, Jason. Do you remember where? No. No. One of Al's tapes on fear was about the bog, written on the tape, B-O-G. So Al has come across this at some point in the past as well, ah. and something happened here. So... I'm fine with that. That's a neat little tie-in. That's great. You know, maybe we'll find out more about the bog on fear. Maybe we won't. Maybe we're going to learn everything on this show. Um, I'm okay with that sort of thing. But I almost feel like that was the whole point. It's like, we need to send them through this blaze of gory. It's called the bog. And people who are paying attention will remember where they've seen that before. So otherwise, yeah, you're right. It doesn't really make any sense to go straight at it. And they even talked about it on the show. They said, we could go around. It would just take longer. And like, okay, at least you'll be alive. You know, That's the option. Yeah. If you got to get from point A to point B and point C is a tire fire between point A and point B, you fucking go around the tire fire. Right. Preferably upwind. Right. And they tried, I think they tried to explain it by Elton saying things like, we're going to have to be fast if we want to get there before it gets cold. You know, because they're traveling 1100 miles, he said, to New York State. And I guess they don't want to be doing that in the winter. Fair enough. But, uh, you know, does that mean save one day or two days by like going through a toxic tire fire that you can't see anything and is highly dangerous? I don't think it makes any sense no matter what. Yeah. My drive, my, my neighbors just installed a new asphalt driveway. And yesterday when they were doing, or the day before when they were doing the asphalt and paving it all down and it was all noxious smoke coming off there, I was like a, a yard away from that and I went outside and it damn near died. Because I don't understand how these people can live in this environment <laughs> and work in this environment from day in and day, day in and day out. It just, maybe you get used to it, you get nose blind to that kind of thing, but Ugh. it's got to cause health problems after a while. Mm -hmm. Like, good Lord. And it was absolutely horrendous. I can't imagine what it would be like being inside a tire fire. I, I thought you were going to say, so my neighbors were re-asphalting their driveway and I had the option of walking straight across the fresh asphalt or going around it to their front door. I chose to walk straight across because it's faster. I would save myself 20 seconds. Yeah. Oh, actually I can get to their front door without touching their driveway. Okay. Either way. Oddly enough, but... <laughs> yeah, it's just, it was very noxious and it was, it was, it was gross. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's, is what it is. The other thing that happened at the end of the first episode, once the kids have left yep. and we haven't mentioned Felix and Huck yet. These are two other characters 
Felix is the head of security at this colony. And he's also being made a guardian of these girls when their father left. So he's right. kind of in charge of them. He's their fill-in dad. And Huck is just, I guess, just his buddy who is there to kind of crack jokes and be a bit of a badass. Yeah, yeah, sidekick. A bit of a sidekick, that's right. So, you know, once they realize that the girls and, well, the four of them, the girls, Elton and Silas, have gone, they decide to go out after them and follow them onto the road. So they're on the road as well. But the last thing we see in the first episode is that Elizabeth and the CRM have, I don't know, demolished the colony. It looks like they killed everybody. I don't think that uh, they did because the zombies that they killed had the, uh, had the paint on them, right? The blue paint. Because uh, they were... They were going out, the head of security guy and his sidekick were going out and they were painting zombies to track zombie mo- movement, right? right? They were going to see where these, these people go. So these zombies that they were tracking that were far away from their encampment uh, were inside the wall at this point. So either they were directed by the CRM to, uh, to invade this particular area or it was just a coincidence that they got through the wall, these zombies got through the wall and then the CRM showed up to uh, save the day. But there shouldn't be any confusion about that. Like, the fact that we don't know if it was those zombies, like, the, the wall was wrecked, right? The, the wall yes. was, it looked like it had been blown up in one section. Yeah. Um, the fact that we don't know if the zombies, you know, attacked the colony, so they had to defend it, or if the CRM was nefarious here and were killing people because, for, for whatever reason, because they're bad, um, I, maybe it will be explained, but I feel like it should have already been explained because I didn't yeah. really get what was going on there. Yeah, and the other thing is, uh, at the, the one guy came up to, what's her name, the Colonel? Elizabeth. General? Elizabeth, he went up to her and said, uh, you know, we searched the buildings and we can't find her. And she said, good. Now, shouldn't he, now who does he, is he referring to? Because if he's referring to uh, one of the girls, wouldn't he refer to both? We can't find them Uh and good. But when he says we can't find her and she says good, that's confusing to me. It it is. I, I, I assumed he was talking about Hope and Iris, but... You're right. He he doesn't say them. He says her. Um, Goddamn I, pronouns. I'm not sure. I really dislike pronouns. Well, but like, but also like the fact that they put that in that scene makes it makes me feel like the CRM did this because the kids left. Right. It's like they're looking for them. They're gone, or or part of the search for them was the murdering of all these people. You know, it's it's all really wishy-washy for me, and I'm not sure what's happening there. I do have a feeling we'll get more about it, but I just think it should have been clearer in the moment, to be honest. Did the CRM murder 9,000 people? Well, I have an email here from one of our listeners, Rita in South Orange, New Jersey, and Rita says, how is murdering 9,000 humans helpful or productive to any evil organization? Doesn't this group need people to do whatever it is they do with their A and B subjects? That's referring to the main show, A and B people that they take. 
Rita says, how did they manage to show a massacre without the audience really caring much? How do we not know who was in charge of this place? So she's kind of saying the same thing, right? Like we see this massacre and it just caused confusion rather than us really caring that they murdered all these people, if they even did. And then, you know, how do we not know who's in charge of this place? I guess we're only seeing a little small pocket of the people. We're not seeing the like true leaders of the 9,000 people. But then again, Felix is supposed to be this head of security. So you'd think he'd be right up there with the leadership team, but I don't know, maybe he's head of security for a smaller group. Uh, I'm not sure. All right. So I'm having a hard time here. Cause I'm, I'm, I think my problem is that I try and compare all TV shows to lost. <laughs> and I don't think that's a fair comparison. Probably not. But in the pilot episode of Lost, or in the first two episodes that are combined as the pilot, right? You know, a plane crashes on a on a on an island. Sorry to to spoil Lost for anybody that hasn't watched it, but goddamn it, go watch Lost. Uh, so plane crashes on an island, and then they're they're hanging out there. That's fine. You know, help doesn't show up. That's kind of weird, but that's okay. Uh, and then there's loud noises in the forest trees getting moved around and you're getting confused. And then there's, uh, you know, then they have to go up to the, uh, the tower where they're work- walking towards the tower that has that, uh, that French voice and they encounter a goddamn polar bear mm-hmm. on a tropical Island. And, you know, these are all mysteries. These are all like, what the flying Sam Hill is going on here? This is all very weird, but it doesn't feel like the show's not explaining things. It's like the show is giving you a bunch of unknowns, a bunch of questions. Here's a question. Here's a question. Where the, why is there a goddamn polar bear? What is that thing in the woods? Why is nobody showing up? Where are they? What's that voice in the, in the coming out of the radio uh, yeah. talking about? Why is there an iteration that's lasting 16 years? Uh, you know, all these different things are, are all questions. Then the pilot gets like dragged out of the plane uh, the cockpit of the plane when they find the front section. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, these are all like mysteries in the first two episodes of the show that are all unexplained and really hooks you into the show. Then we have this show. We have a whole bunch of things that are unexplained and it doesn't feel like they're handing us mysteries. It feels like they're not explaining shit and it's confusing. It, it is and really, it's a strange difference, isn't it? And so I'm a little bit confused. It's like, do they... Do they not know, do the writers not know how to present mysteries? Like, are they just, you know, not giving us information, but just showing it in a way is like, what, 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 what's that all about? But they could present it in a better way that would make it a mystery rather just in, than an unexplained situation. Yeah. It, it, it must be a fine line between, um, as a viewer feeling invested in the mystery and wanting to find out more versus just feeling confused and not understanding why you're being shown something. So unfortunately so far world beyond is a little, you know, much more on the the latter end of that uh, scale there. So um, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see. I mean, the thing I'm most excited about this show for in general is more information about the civic Republic and how it factors into the greater walking dead universe right that yeah it's it's it was teased a lot on fear and of course these people are the ones that took rick away uh so and jadis jadis knew all about them and they had a helipad and everything at that junkyard that's right exactly 
Um, from what I understand, they're the ones that have Heath too. So if we ever see Heath again, it's going to be related to, to this group. Right. Um, that's a mystery and that's interesting. And we want to find out more, you know, it's a smaller scale. Sure. Why the CRM massacred all those people, even if they were zombies in Omaha here feels like just confusing, not a mystery. So are we going to have to have a flashback? that, uh, to what happened in the pilot episode? I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how they're going to, to address this really, because in the second episode they didn't, we got strictly road trip stuff in the second, which I think is how most of the show is going to play out, right? The kids oh, are yeah. ahead of Felix and Huck and Felix and Huck are trying to catch up with them to, I guess, bring them back. Well, they'll eventually they'll join them because they can't, they're not going to go all the way back just to discover that the whole place has been murdered uh, or overrun. I don't know which, Yeah, but they're not going to go all the way back just to discover that. So they're going to, they're going to end up meeting up. They can't have, you know, it's not going to play this chase game for too long, right? They're, the kids are not that far ahead right. uh, of them and they're leaving signs, right? Yes. Like literally spray painting signs. We were here, uh, you know, come find us. Yeah. Uh, that, that reminds me of that endlings conversation that they had, yeah. which I didn't mind that. I kind of like the nickname, to be honest, we're the endlings. We are the last generation and they, they brought it in even tighter. Elton was saying that, you know, the last one of us alive, not just the last one of everybody alive, but the last one of us is the endling, the final yeah. human, basically. I thought that yeah. was fun. And I think we should probably just go with that nickname from now on for that group, the endlings. Sure. Yeah. And I like the, uh, the explanation of, you know, the dinosaurs are around for millions of years and they, it took them, you know, 50,000 years for them to die. Uh, you know, humans were around for 600,000 years and, uh, or 60,000 years or whatever. And, you know, now we got about 25 years. So, and we're 10 years into that. So. Well, he said 15, uh, that, that ratio well, that's what I, brings it down to 15. Yeah. Well, I was thinking that we've got 15 years is a, from that point forward. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So again, the math, uh, you know, I don't know what the math works out to, but I assumed that overall 25 years and they're 10 years into that 25 years. Got it. Makes sense. Um, the other thing we got in episode two was much more information. Well, like in the first one, we got the backstory of Iris and Hope. In this one, we got more of the backstory of Felix because we see Felix as a young boy. Um, his father outright, and his parents generally, just outright reject him for being gay. Uh, and he, this kind of happens right around the time that plane crashes. And it was pretty sad that they, they even reject him sort of after the zombie apocalypse. He tries to go back to them yeah, to help them or save them or whatever. And they turn the lights out on him. So, you know, he, he had a pretty bad experience with his parents there. And that, I guess that shaped him a little bit. It's such an awful thing. I mean, it's, it's so awful. And I know that happens because I've known, I know people that this happened to, and it just, it makes me angry. It makes me frustrated. It makes me sad mm -hmm. that there's still people out there that just like, as soon as you find out that your own flesh and blood, your own son is gay, it's like, get out. I never want to see you again. I, I don't fucked get it. up is that? I, it's fucked. It's totally fucked. I don't understand it. Awful. Um, but that's what happened to him. Um, we also see, uh, we also see him delivering some of his zombie killing training courses, but not really killing sort of 
more like zombie survival training course because he does say you have to go for the head, but he also says your primary objective should be survival and escaping, um, which I yeah. thought was, you know, a good tip, really. It's like, don't fight the zombies if you don't have to. If you can get away, get away. Yeah. Um, but this was all kind of yeah, framed around the idea that these four kids... 10 years into the zombie apocalypse have no idea how to kill one and are reluctant to do it. I mean, I understand the, I understand that it's good advice to try to escape, but Iris goes to kill one and is absolutely useless at it. She can't even kill it. Uh, and she throws up on it and then she throws up on it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure why that was in there. Um, and then, uh, Silas has a pretty good opportunity to kill one and he just doesn't even attempt it. He picks up, who is it, Elton, and they and they run off instead. And Silas has got the coolest weapon of everybody. I mean, a huge wrench that has it's sharpened to a point on the other end. That's a cool yeah. weapon, man. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I was really cool. hoping we'd see him swing that thing, but we didn't. And, you know, Hope, in the middle of the night, sneaks out of the treehouse and she doesn't kill the zombie. She leads it backwards into a empty swimming pool. Like how dangerous is that? Yep. And I, I couldn't decide if the show was trying to tell us these kids are just inept or, or stupid, but I think probably kind of useless is, is what it was. They've never had to do this. Inexperienced. They've never had to do it and now they're not ready for it. So that's going to be a major plot point. I think going forward, the kids aren't ready for what they're getting into pretty much. Right. I, I I think they're attempting to make the zombies dangerous again. Right? Yeah. Because uh, in the other shows, the zombies aren't the danger. Uh, it's other people. Whereas this one, they're trying to show us that for people that aren't as experienced as us at watching these shows, right. that uh, they're still dangerous. If you don't know exactly what you're doing, uh, you know, it can be dangerous. They have the, they have the theoretical training. They just have to learn to put it into practice. Yeah. Man, did they ever have some good visual aids in that training class? You see that the, you know, the outline of the head with the arrows going, this is where you <laughs> stab them in the head. It's like, holy shit. How did you draw that without a computer? Well, come on. Like, there's 9,000 people there. There's bound to be somebody who's got some artistic talent. That, you know, that's a, Pretty big artistic talent. And then, and then what's her name? Hope? I don't know whose name is what, but she's an artist and she refuses to draw because she wants to uh, get into the sciences. It sounds to me like this community very much needs artists to be able to uh, create these visual aids as, uh, as training guides. Yeah, I guess so. Well, somebody's doing it and they did a really great job. Yeah. It's a fantastic job. Yeah. I guess, I mean, the only other thing I, I want to say here is that People on this show need to stop sneaking around at night because I just mentioned, you know, Hope gets up and in the treehouse, they all know there's a zombie below them. They try to kill it with a bowling ball. It doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, we'll get him in the morning. We'll get him in the morning. But she gets <laughs> oh, up man. in the night alone, goes down to lead him into the swimming pool. I'm not even sure if that was her plan or if that's just what happened, but that's it. And then Felix, well, him and uh, Huck are spending the night somewhere in a garage, he gets up and sneaks out in the night too. And that was a little awkward on the show, I thought, because you see him leave, but then you 
but then he's there in the morning and we don't find out where he goes until later on in the episode. So I was at first confused was like, did he leave or not? Or was he there the whole time? Like, was he dreaming? I, I don't know. He, he went to masturbate. No. So he goes to his parents' house because he'd mentioned earlier <laughs> that his parents lived around ah, there. Come on. He masturbated on the way. You know it. Okay, fine. Maybe. Why not? Because why wouldn't you really? Uh, he goes to kill his parents, but finds out that they're already dead. They're zombified in their house. So hopefully that provides him some closure. I don't know. I really don't yeah. know. Um, but I'm just saying people need to stop sneaking out at night on their own because that's dangerous. And especially when you are unable to kill zombies, like one lone zombie, don't go out at night. I've stopped. I've stopped sneaking out at night. Good. That's smart call. Smart call. I actually Jason. rarely go out after dark. It's weird. Like when I drive around and it's dark out, I'm like, this is a weird situation. Like I never go out after dark anymore. Well, dude, it's October 15th in uh, the Northern Hemisphere. So it's getting dark pretty early these days. Soon it's going to be dark Yeah, except for in the winter when it's, you know, I go out after dark to pick up my son from school. (laughs) Right. right. Except for that situation. (laughs) Yeah. You pretty much have to. All right. Well, one email here from Gemma in South Wales. Gemma says, world beyond. I'm not sure. They did a lot of stupid things, in my opinion, that annoyed me. They have been trained at the college to kill walkers, yet none of them can do it. Just stab it in the head. Also, walking into the tire fire doesn't seem like a smart thing to do, especially as they can't fight walkers. The bees walker was awesome, though. Very good effects. I also like Felix's storyline and his flashbacks. Homophobia literally killed his parents. I will continue to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the bees. Yes. Um, I'm not sure bees are that dumb. And they were wasps, weren't they? Like, it wasn't a beehive. It, it was, it was wasps. Wasps hive. created a nest in that walker's face, yeah. Would they do that? I don't know. Why not? I mean, I thought it was kind of a clever use of a zombie. Like, it was kind of neat. There's not a lot of space in there for wasps. Like, they do, they make their nests in trees and eaves and things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's not a lot of space inside someone's mouth, even if they could get down the throat and into their gullet. There's probably not a lot of room down there. I Yeah, I don't think they were down there. Was his head hollowed out? I think it but was. he was most, alive, so his brain was still good. Yeah, mostly in the skull, I think, but you're right. There was not a lot of free space in there either, so. Yeah, I'm not sure if, you know, wasps were pretty dumb, uh, but I don't know. Uh, it seems, there's a, I have a lot of questions. Well, e- either way, I, I agree with Gemma. It was kind of cool. It was a fun use of the zombie at least, but overall, a couple of mediocre episodes of the new show. It could be great in the end. We don't know. And if they keep feeding us information about Civic Republic and what it means to the greater storyline, hopefully that is worth it to watch for just, you know, for that, because it does impact a lot of other things going on. So I will continue to watch. Uh, we probably do need to talk about it, you know, once in a while on here. So I'm afraid you may have to continue watching, Jason. Yeah, that's the question. How, what is the, what's our coverage going to be like? Do I have to catch up by the end of the season or are we going to wait a couple of, well, I guess we got some time, so... We're going to be watching Fear and do I have to watch two shows now? Um, no, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm much more excited to watch Fear, which is something I wouldn't have said a year ago for sure. 
uh, but I'm a sucker and they throw one good episode at me and I'm like, okay, I'm back on board. Um, well, you know, you, you like, what's his name said? You, you put Lenny James in the spotlight of anything and damn it, you're going to watch it. Yeah. It's a good point. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I think what we're going to do now is we're going to watch both shows. We are going to do another, take, take another look at fear at the, um, maybe after episode four, let's say. Uh, that'll be a quarter of the way through the full season. And with World Beyond, you know, maybe we'll do something similar where once they've got, I mean, we already have two. So once they get to maybe five or six, we'll take a look as we approach the the mid-season. Or is there only eight of this show? Shoot, I forget now. But maybe as we approach the, uh, if it's not the middle of the season, it might be the end. So we will do that. And in the meantime, we're going to do something else. So we're not okay. abandoning The Walking Dead. Um, it's too bad that the main show didn't, you know, return now, and we could be talking about that because that would be a guarantee. Uh, but we'll we'll definitely keep following along with these two and and uh, see how it goes. Cool. As for the schedule, um, since we aren't going to do, since we aren't able to do those immediately. I think what we will do is, it's a Thursday now, we will take next week off, and the following week, why don't we do our episode on the boys, Jason? Okay, I will try and get all caught up, because the second season is over now, right? It's done, I have seen all of it, yeah. There's only eight episodes, so it's not too much trouble to watch them all. Um, and if you don't get through it, then we really can mostly talk about season one, but... Uh, Either way, we can we can look at a big chunk of the boys. Sure. I, I look forward to doing that. Uh, all right. I have one more email here before we wrap it up, Jason, and I'm sorry to do this to you, but Courtney in Tulsa, Oklahoma said, I would love to hear Jason talk about Cobra Kai. That show is oddly amazing, and I have a feeling he would have a lot to say about it. I I can't I can't commit to that. <laughs> I know it's been something that's been rattling around in my wife and I's collective brain to try and watch, but I ne I I may have seen the first Karate Kid all the way through. I may not have. I definitely haven't seen anything beyond that. Well, I mean, there only is one Karate Kid. I don't acknowledge the existence of the sequels. <laughs> Why not? I uh, I don't know. I mean, I know Hillary Swank was in one. It's true, she was. I, I'm not sure I've ever seen that, to be honest, and maybe it's fine, but you really don't need to. I watched the original 1980s Karate Kid movie with the with the girls uh, a few weeks ago, and then we watched the first few episodes of Cobra Kai, but Cobra Kai is a little more mature than the movie, so we had to shut that down for a bit. Um, Does Cobra Kai acknowledge the sequels? Uh, no. No. Cobra Kai, not that I know of, it is a... It is a sequel to the original film. But like okay, I said, so I don't only, have to watch any of the other ones. No, I've only seen three, the first three episodes of Cobra Kai. Anyways, I just wanted to throw that out there because I know you haven't seen it. If you felt like it or ended up watching it, we could talk about it a little bit, um, but it's not essential. And, you know, just as an option. All right. I will put it on my optional watch list. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. All right. That is it. That is a lot of uh, Walking Dead new show stuff for a while here, and that's what we're going to be doing over the next little bit. It'll be The Boys next, and then probably back to uh, Walking Dead after that, once we have a few more episodes under our belt. 
If you would like to help support this here podcast, there are two great ways to do that. You can become a patron by visiting our Patreon page at talking or at patreon.com slash the talking dead. That allows you to make a small, you know, monthly pledge that uh, comes and helps out with the cost of putting on the show. If that's not your thing, you can also make a one-time donation via PayPal at talkingdeadpodcast.com slash PayPal. Thank you so much to everyone that supports us and to everyone that listens. You are the greatest, you guys. Um, all right. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do that, of course, by visiting our website, talkingdeadpodcast.com and clicking on send voicemail at the top. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead. And you can email the show at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, everyone, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.